Hundreds of thousands of people go missing in Japan each year, yet the government denies the truth of these figures. These people disappear from society, intentionally. What's the cause for these evaporating people? And is the Japanese government correct in claiming that these stories are overblown? Welcome, welcome, welcome into another episode of the KMH Podcast with you, as always, is your buddy Brad. Hope everybody out there is doing well, staying healthy, and avoiding this plague and all the fallout it's causing. This week we're going to be talking about the evaporating people of Japan. I'll admit this is not the topic I had planned for this week. However, while trying and failing to find credible information on the topic I had on my agenda... I stumbled into this evaporating people phenomenon and kind of got hooked. So as an ignorant American, I just had to explore it further and learn more about this fascinating topic from Japan. Now, I don't have a vast amount of experience with Asian culture. I think of Japanese society as having an odd charm to it from a distance Cat cafes, crazy vending machines, drunk businessmen, singing karaoke, bizarre game shows, cute everything. It seems like a fun culture. And I say that understanding that there's also an undertone of strictness the society has. But, you know, here in America, we tend to romanticize everything that goes on in all our other cultures. For this discussion... I think it's important that we remember that Japan is a society, to put it a bit crudely, which expects blood for failure. Ritualistic suicide by samurais and the kamikaze pilots of World War II are well-known aspects of this culture. And it's no surprise, I think, to anyone that Japan has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Okay, but what about this evaporating people phenomenon? Since the mid-1990s, and perhaps even earlier than that, it's estimated that about 100,000 Japanese men and women vanish every year. Now, this isn't the same thing as the missing 411 topic we discussed in Episode 5. These disappearances are orchestrated by the people themselves, often over some sort of shame or indignity they've suffered. Something pushes these people to choose to opt out of society and effectively evaporate. Estimates suggest that about 20,000 of these people are never seen again and refuse to return to a normal life. It's essentially a form of social suicide. It appears to occur because of the tremendous pressure Japanese society places on its people to conform with cultural norms. You must hit the nail that stands out is a classic Japanese maxim that I'm sure we've all heard. Students are pushed to constantly reach greater and greater academic achievements. Workers are expected to work long hours and can anticipate advancing their careers only when a more senior worker dies or retires. After work gatherings are common, 
and the party does not end until the boss says so, making time off from work just as hierarchical as time spent in the office. Women are fully expected to embrace traditional gender roles, which, as we can expect, largely entails getting married, having kids, raising the kids, and making your husband happy. Businesses are loath to accept women as managers. As a society, Japan had no domestic violence laws whatsoever until 2001. Thus, we have this culture where, at least as an outsider looking in, it looks like people are kind of locked into place but are still expected to find ways to climb the social ladder or suffer this great shame. And there's little to no margin of error in making this climb. Personally, I can understand why people would look to opt out of this sort of life. I mean, I've told my wife that if we have another kid, I may just change my ma- my name and move to one of those big rectangular states out west. I say that jokingly because she would find me and she would hurt me. So when the evaporation occurs, families are often so ashamed that they refuse to report the missing person to the police to keep it from becoming a public matter. Those who want to find a missing family member discreetly typically request assistance from a private group known as Supportive Families of Missing People. And it's an extremely clandestine organization. Even finding an address for the group is difficult. Those who do convince the organization to help have their case referred to a detective who will work pro bono, but each detective averages about 300 cases per year, so the success rate isn't as high as folks would like for it to be. Those who are found either return on their own, get arrested, stumble into family members accidentally, or are found dead. In addition to families not reporting missing members, the Society of Japan isn't really designed to make finding a missing person easy. Until recently, they didn't have the equivalent of a social security number like we do in America. But in 2015, they started implementing a basically a tax identification number to citizens. Interestingly, it's illegal for police to look into any citizen's financial records, including ATM withdrawals, bank account withdrawals, those sorts of things. Administratively, the society is not designed to share information between districts very well. And it's not uncommon for one district to have a very important piece of information that's not shared with another district. There's no sort of national database in Japan for missing people that police or other agencies can rely on. And oftentimes, hiring a private investigator is out of reach for most people, as it's not unheard of for an investigator to have daily rates reaching $500. And, you know, compounding this problem is the person generally doesn't want to be found. So they move to strange locations that they're not known to frequent. They change their name. They try to change their appearance. Everything in an effort not to be found. So for these folks that evaporate, how do they survive? While most people in Japan won't acknowledge its existence, there is actually this entire society which exists under 
what we see as Japanese society. There's lost cities which can't be found on any map. It's a life totally and completely off the grid. For example, there's one called the city of Sanya, which effectively is a slum within Tokyo. And it's an area that the Yakuza control and thus control the people that live there. The Yakuza, for those who don't know, are kind of the traditional Japanese mafia. Now, they can provide work for their residents, though it's always low-paying, off-the-books, laborious jobs. Housing can be provided in rundown hotels. Most rooms like bathrooms, and there's very little access to the Internet. Everything in the slum town is regulated, with even talking being forbidden in most residential areas after 6 p.m. And this slum falls in a network of highways, train lines, high-rises, and countless intersecting roads that make it easy for those who wish to disappear to become effectively invisible. Somebody who knows this area is going to be able to navigate all the turns and twists much better than their family members that come looking for them so they can evade capture easily. This is not the only hidden city. They're throughout Japan. However, the police deny the existence of these cities totally. There's an economy that has sprung up around this whole evaporating person's idea. There's companies who specialize in midnight moves or focus on helping a person stage their disappearance to look like abduction. There's also some that are experts in ensuring that if someone wants to evaporate with no trace, they truly evaporate with no trace. So that's an overview of what this phenomenon is. Let's talk about some of the specific cases that I could dig up. The first involves Ichiro and his wife, Tomoko. They were living in a prosperous city just outside of Tokyo. After having their first child, the couple decided to take out a loan and open a dumpling restaurant. Then the market crashed. Now, Japanese banks are notorious for requiring very strict conditions before giving out a loan. This can include making multiple family members sign as guarantors and or taking out life insurance policies where the bank is the beneficiary. And lots of times, if you can't pay your debt, then they instantly come hard after you and your family members. So because of the shame this crushing debt can bring upon families, and because Ichiro perceived himself as a failure as a restaurateur, his entire family decided to disappear. They sold their house packed up their belongings, and simply walked into the shadows of the night. In an interview with French journalist Lena Magor, which I'm sure is pronounced in reality much more eloquently than I did, uh, who uh, she also published a book entitled The Vanished about this phenomenon. Ichiro claimed people like him were cowards to flee towards a rapidly approaching death. So, as you can tell, 
This isn't something that these people view as a uh, win. It's a way to get out of life uh, or avoid life's problems in a very shameful way. Next, we have Noriaro, who evaporated 10 years prior to being interviewed. He left after losing his job. And this is a really sad story. Being too embarrassed to tell his family, he woke up each morning, got dressed, kissed his wife goodbye, and drove to his former employer's parking lot. And he just sat there all day. He wouldn't get out to go get something to eat or to stretch or anything. He sat in his car for hours to give the impression that he was still employed. On nights when co-workers would go out drinking with their boss, sometimes he would be in his car 19 hours or more before he came home. He did this every day for a week until finally payday came. Norio woke up that morning, got dressed in his best suit, kissed his wife goodbye, and took a train to Sanya. He left no note, no messages, and he said in an interview that he hopes his family believes he wandered into the infamous suicide forest of Japan and killed himself. Today he lives under an assumed name in the windowless room he keeps padlocked. He purposefully drinks and smokes too much in an effort to hasten his death. He prays they die soon and that no one will be able to tell who he is when he finally does pass on. Next we have Yuchi who worked as a construction worker while trying to support his terminally ill mother. Though he worked as hard as he could, the expenses from her treatments continued to mount, and he found himself where he could no longer take care of himself and his mother. One day, he made the heartbreaking decision to move his mother into a cheap motel. He checked her in, got her settled, and then walked away forever. He's never been seen again. Finally, Cooney was a successful investment maker, but one bad decision led him to the loss of 400 million yen and effectively ended everything for him. His bosses blamed him alone for the error. His clients hounded him mercilessly at work, after work, in the streets, everywhere. He couldn't take the pressure, and he decided he needed to evaporate. First, he began kind of couch surfing for a bit until he slowly kind of embraced the underworld and crawled down into the cracks thereof. He found himself working as a dishwasher one day, a builder the next, all while living in squalor. This was certainly a tough adjustment for someone who was once a high-flying investment guru. So how real is this problem? Police and governmental authorities refute claims that there are such mysterious underground lands of no ones operating in major cities. Japan's National Police Agency, for example, registered 82,000 missing persons reports in 2015 and cleared 80,000 of those cases by the end of the year, most within one week. They vigorously claim there is no evaporating people problem. But compare these missing persons numbers with, say, the UK, 
which has roughly half the population of Japan. Yet, they report almost four times as many missing person cases each year. Japan's official figures are also inconsistent with the numbers reported by support of families of missing people, who claim the real number is several times over 100,000 people per year. And this phenomenon has even been recognized and embraced by the Japanese culture. And this is evidenced by there was a popular drama that came on TV in the 1990s that told tales of people who chose to evaporate. Now, this evaporation problem is fueled by a gap in social services offered to help people in abusive situations. They are often forced into thinking that they have no choice but to evaporate. Uh, Imagine an abused wife. Yes, there's domestic violence laws on the books. They're not vigorously enforced. And her family and friends are going to encourage her just to tough it out. But if she can't take it anymore, what is she supposed to do? She may have no other choice but to simply flee into the night. There's also a parallel phenomenon known as something I'm going to totally mispronounce. Hikikomori, which is where people voluntarily withdraw from society. They don't evaporate per se. They just become hermits. They sever all their social ties and typically lock themselves in their bedrooms or their apartments Spend their days watching television, playing on the internet, playing video games, just doing stuff that allows them to stay isolated while entertained. Approximately 80% of these de facto hermits are male. Now, going back to the themed cafes we mentioned at the top that Japan is so famous for, why do they exist? Well, they give people a chance to lead a different life for a couple of hours. You can spend an evening being treated like a true princess or a male model being fawned over by beautiful women. And when you're in a society where you're basically nothing more than a cog in this giant machine, it's understandable why such unique escape opportunities are common. You know, I can't... Imagine these sorts of cafes being terribly popular in America because of the way our culture and our society is designed. Being able to pretend you're a princess for a few hours for a few hundred dollars, I just can't imagine that would be very successful. And this phenomenon hits children as well. Um Again, they've got their own academic goals they're expected to meet or suffer great shame. They've got to lead essentially a perfect life in their parents' eyes. And it's such that, you know, many Japanese folktales involve people being snatched from their normal lives to live out fantastic adventures. Though that, of course, is a common trait of folktales around the world. Uh, Video games are huge in Japan, particularly of the role-playing genre. Uh, Japan ranks third in money spent on video games behind only the United States and China. 
Approximately 54% of the population plays video games, which is a higher percentage in China and one matching in the United States. One particular game called Dragon Quest is so popular that its publishers only release new editions of the game on Saturdays, which is in conflict with tradition to release new games on Thursdays. But they do this to avoid having people miss work or school to play it. And, you know, spending 100-plus hours leading a group of fantasy-themed adventurers on an epic quest to save the world seems a little more fun than trying to be a perfectly shaped square block to fit in the wall of society. So my thoughts about this phenomenon. First, I have to call BS on the police, just all the way around. You don't have a hitch television show about this sort of life if it's not going on. 80,000 people disappearing a year just does not seem like a realistic figure based on the population size of Tokyo. I'm I'm sorry, of Japan. I understand that Japan is generally considered a low-crime society, but disappearances don't occur just through criminals. People run away to start new lives in every country all over the world. Um, for the police to claim that this isn't happening, you know, to me is kind of like the city of Baltimore, Maryland, claiming that there really weren't many drug arrests right while the wire ruled HBO which, if you're not familiar, The Wire was a program that was all about the massive drug problems in Baltimore. You know, I I just can't buy the police's stance on this. I know that from personal experiences, many people in America love the idea of running away from home, moving across the country, and starting a whole new life, leaving all your mistakes behind you, effectively restarting this game. Very few do it, of course. It has a certain allure. At least in the South, we are a very judgmental lot who savor juicy rumors concerning who is having an affair with who, who is struggling with a specific vice, and who just lost their job. It's why I think church-going is so popular down here. It gives everybody a chance to get together and gossip for a few minutes. Now, I can't imagine having to deal with that on top of these crushing expectations that Japan places upon each of its citizens. I mean, personally, I love my boss. I love working for her. But I've got no problem telling her when I think she's made a mistake. And she's got no problem telling me when to shut my mouth and do my job. Um, And I think we work together beautifully. I can only imagine that my mouth would quickly kill my career in Japan, a place where bosses routinely berate subordinates in front of everyone over minor errors, and the subordinates are expected just to grin and bear it. I say all this to say I think I get it. I have an idea why these people evaporate. It's the freedom. These people would rather live in terrible conditions working in low-paying jobs to be able to know that they are living their life 
their own way without having to make dozens of other people happy in every decision that they make. They don't claim to enjoy it now. This isn't some fantasy come true. It's like a feudal peasant who has to scratch out a meager living. Of course, those same peasants have a certain degree of freedom the king doesn't possess. It's still not a fun life, but it's got a certain allure to it. You know, there's no more parties they have to attend. No more alcoholic husbands they have to appease. No more fear of being shamed by family members over committing a minor error or making one poor decision. They just have to do what makes them happy. And of course, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, hey, this is the way you should solve your problems. Just drop it all and go live in squalor. I'm just saying I get why they do it. People have always asked me how I could defend criminals for a living. And I have a long answer to that question. But one thing most folks who don't have any experience with the criminal justice system misunderstand is that Many of these criminals are really decent folks who just made one bad decision. And that's kind of how I view these evaporated people. They're in a situation they don't know how to improve, and so they make this decision to just bow out of society. I don't think it's a smart decision. Again, I understand it. I've mentioned this once, but if you're interested in this topic, check out The Vanished by Lena Magor and Stephanie Rimmel. Uh, it is a book that is considered the primary source for information on this topic. I tried to get my hands on a copy, but because how late this topic came to me coupled with the COVID lockdown, I haven't been able to read it as of this recording, but I plan to. We will end our discussion of these evaporated people here. Obviously, I'm a bit out of my element on this one, but I found the topic fascinating, and I hope I did a fair job in presenting it. And, of course, I hope you enjoyed learning about it. So let's move on to the palate cleanser. Please know that I have been duly chastised for not allowing my son to pick the joke last week. I naively thought Fortnite was more important to him than my little podcast, and I have been proven wrong. So without further ado, here is this week's professionally selected palate cleanser. Why did the teddy bear say no to dessert? Because he was stuffed. Now, I've also been told that I have to pass along the added commentary that the teddy bear clearly is not smart because you should never say no to dessert, according to my eight-year-old. I can't argue with that. All right, there we are, back on track with our palate cleanser. Everything's right with the world again, except for everything else. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review this makes a huge, huge, huge impact on how easily new listeners can find our podcast, especially on iTunes. So think of it as sharing a nice hug with me and everybody else who needs to hear this podcast. I'm also going to note that we've got an Instagram account. Uh, 
where I've started sharing 60-second mysteries on there. If you're an Instagrammer and want to look it up, it's kmh.podcast. I have no idea who else in the world would have KMH Podcast, but kmh.podcast if you want to check us out. And one more reminder, I'm going to have a really special announcement next week's episode, so please don't miss it. Plus, the case we're going to be discussing is just as nutty as a squirrel turd. So we'll end things here. Everybody keep being safe, keep being smart, and come back next week. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.